Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Uncomfortably Cozy. I am your host, Denise. This episode is about a week late from being released because it's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable for me to discuss this topic. It is uncomfortable for me to be, um, to even relive, relive some of the stuff but it's also a necessary one. Um, And so I do want to give a trigger warning because it does discuss suicide. And so that is for anyone who does need that. Y'all know the drill. Settle in because this topic is uncomfortable, but this vibe is always cozy. Okay, so about two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, I received like a notification on my phone, like, look back on this day. You, you know how you know how Google does that, right? So I get this reminder, tap on it, looking through all of these pictures, and all I saw through each photo was just pain. Like there was not a, a picture that I went by where I can put like this joyous memory, like attach it to. And we're not talking about like a month span or three months span. We're talking about you just keep going throughout the years and each year look the same. (laughs) Each year, I'm like remembering the feelings, remembering what what I was going through, um, looking at myself in the photos. And I'm like, girl, you just look sad. Like the weight of the world was on your shoulder for a significant amount of time. And as I'm going through it, I'm like, I wonder who else felt like this. For a long time, whenever I was going through life, I was always under this assumption that what I was facing, it was just me. And there weren't too many conversations being had about around the struggles of other people. There wasn't too many bold conversations about mental health, about brokenness, about financial struggles. Struggles. I think people during that time really mastered the art of this is my business, right? And so the platforms that we have now and the way people are a whole lot more um, vocal and transparent about the things that they've been through was not the same that long, like not that long ago. Right. And shortly after having that reminder, there was a conversation that I had with a young lady who is transitioning through life with her children. And it is hard. And through her tears, like, I'm like, I know this cry. I know this sound. I know this pain. I know this all too much. And while I'm talking with her, the comfort that I can give to her was like, I've been there. I hear you. Right. And there was so much gratitude just for her being able to say what it was that she needed to say without judgment and somebody understanding that. And so I knew that this topic needed to be talked about, but it is very uncomfortable for me to do that. Um, because it's still not painful, but it is still its own trigger, even for me. And so 
while I'm looking through these photos, I'm like, yeah, let's go ahead and discuss this. Let's do this. Still didn't do it. Knew I had to, was writing all this stuff down and was like, I'm going to prepare, but there's not really much preparation for this. I'm at work. I'm listening to um, this message, this sermon, T.D. Jakes is preaching. He's talking. And in the, in the moment, in, in, in the piece of it, he's saying, he's discussing the Israelites in their moment where they were going through the wilderness. Um, and he said, can you imagine having to take everything that you have, everything that you own, carrying it with you through this hard moment, through this wilderness in your life? And while he was talking, I'm at work and I'm like, dang it, because while I'm struggling with talking and discussing this topic and knowing that I have to, but I don't want to, <laughs> I get all of the confirmation that I need to do it. Um, and then a couple of other things happened after that. And I was like, you know what, let's just do it. And so the reason why that part stuck out to me so much was because in those photos, one of the reminders that I had um, was during a journey that me and my kids went through in our homeless shelters, right? And so in one of the shelters that we, that I stayed in with my kids, um, it was one of those overnight shelters. And so you, they would wake you up at six o'clock in the morning, you know, do their whole roll call. Um, you can do, you know, all of your shot, whatever it is that you needed to do, but you needed to be out of the door by eight o'clock. And so from eight to four, you had to leave. It was in the bottom of a church. And so you had to take all of the stuff that you had with you. So you lug in everything that you got, you've got to take it. Um, and in the process of doing that, you are just trying to figure out from eight to four what it is that you don't do, right? Like, I don't know what I have to do, but I'm going to do it um, during the summer months. And so there was no no school or anything you know, for, the, for the kids to go and sure couldn't afford daycare even for the two little ones. And so we we wandered. It was riding the trains all day. It was a bus ride. Sometimes we sp spent time um, in the library. But there was this one particular um, store, grocery store, where you can do all of your grocery shopping. But they also had like hot bar, you know, all that you can get, all the sandwiches um, that you needed, pizza, whatever. And at the top of it, there was this little restaurant and a kids play area. And so we spent a lot of time at that place. And on the days that we didn't, I felt like I needed to give it a break. So people were not like, you know, she's here all day with all her stuff. And we kind of know what this looks like. And I didn't want to be called out. Um, and so I had to balance it out. But that was really a place where we spent most of our time. Um, and then we would travel back at four o'clock. Um, it was such a tough thing. It was a tough thing and you feel all the things that you would imagine a person would feel. I felt defeated. I felt like a failure. I felt um, alone. And while there might've been people in my life, not many who knew the situation, there was not many people that you can talk to about it. There was not many people that you can, um, you find people that you can relate with. You you have women who are in the shelter with you and you get that. But outside of that world, it was like my own world, right? Um, and I remember that my mental health was at its worst during this season. And I'm not talking about like a 30-day season. I'm talking about like a three and a half year span of highs and lows, up and downs. 
and reliving all of the things that you've done and all of the decisions that you've had to make. And I've had to make some tough ones because I was never willing to compromise my children. I was never willing to, I wanted to be as present as I needed to be. And it was always a battle for me as this mom um, with making sure that I was present and finding the balance with taking care of the things that I need to take care of and also trusting the wrong people, broken relationships. And so um, my life was like a roller coaster, but my mental health was at its worst. And I couldn't focus in on that. I couldn't own in on that because there were still things that I needed to do. But I also remembered that it was a very easy posture for me to take on with like, you know, it is with like suck it up. And I have been sucking it up for as long as I can remember. For as long as I can remember, even the feeling of heaviness with my my brain and, and the feeling of death and wanting to die, it started as young as eight or nine years old. I can remember being that young and having the thoughts that death would be easier than living, even at that young age, and not having an outlet to talk about it. And so I, I would go to school and school would be my outlet, whether it was a favorite teacher that I had. Um, I remember, um, one time a, a teacher was beautiful teacher. Um, and she was genuinely like, what's wrong. Right. Um, and every time I looked at her, she always reminded me of my older sister. Um, uh, and it wasn't her prying. It was just like, she would be the first person to see me. and will be like, tell me, like, let me help you. Um, and I remember confiding in my teacher and my teacher then giving that information over to my guidance counselor and then my guidance counselor then reporting it to BCW, Child Protective Services. Um, and I remember all of the stuff that happened after that, right? I remember the home investigations. I remember, you know, them coming out and was like, well, now we have to check on the welfare of this child. And I thought in that moment, like, this is this is what I need. This is what's going to help me, right? And I can I can say how I'm feeling and I can I can say why death seems so important. I can talk about how I'm drinking all this medicine out of this medicine cabinet and the only thing that's happening to me is sleepy. But it was the complete opposite that did not happen. Um, whenever they did their home visit and they left, I got my behind whooped for bringing people into my house, bringing people into my mother's business. And she whooped me. And I remember during that time, just like, oh, you can't trust nobody, right? And I know that it wasn't like my teacher wasn't like, hey, we're going to go get this kid snatched up out of this home. I think she was genuinely concerned. But at that moment, I was like, man, I can't trust nobody, right? But as the thoughts continued to grow in my mind and the heaviness of not wanting to be alive, like persisted, continue to hear like, no, you need to do something. And so acting out was that something like I need somebody to see that I'm struggling, but I don't think the, the culture, I don't like then there was, the culture was very different. What happens in my house stays in my house. Don't talk about this. Don't discuss this. And so you grow up 
bearing like all of your feelings and your emotions and you just learn how to not say anything. And then you don't want to be the one that always brings the attention or is the outsider. Um, and so sometime later, I remember um, the thoughts, the, the thoughts of death never really left, but the methods of, of how they came about, it, it was shifting. First, it was like, take this medicine. And then it was like, cut your wrist. And for a long time, I would wake up and I would hear that. I would go to sleep and I would hear that. Cut your wrist was so loud that it became who I was, right? And all I remember was hearing, if you don't say it, you're going to do it and that's going to be dangerous. So internally, something kept telling me, you need to just say it. Like, no matter how much trouble you get in, you need to say it, right? And I'm like, but that already failed me. I said it and that part failed me. And so there's this Yolanda Adams song, Open Up, Open My Heart, right? I don't come from a Christian background. We didn't talk about that. Like, that is not something that happens in my house. But I heard this song. I don't even remember how I heard this song. But when I heard the song, it was all I can sing. And in my darkest moments, I would just be singing the words to the song. And I remember sitting in my room and I remember crying out and I remember hearing the song. And I was singing this song when the thoughts were louder than what they needed. To, like it was overwhelming, right? And so I went to school, I had my wrist wrapped and somebody was like, hey, what's going on? And I was like, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to slap my wrist, right? And I'm this child and I want somebody to see the pain that is inside of me. And so it happens. Um, we, you know, we start talking about it. There's this discussion like, hey, this is what she's saying. I end up going to um, this psych ward and I can't even remember how long I was there. It might have been a day or even I don't know if it was a day, two days. I can't remember the length. And after I, while I'm there, I'm laying in this bed, I'm handcuffed to the bed and I'm like, I'm going to get some help. Right. Somebody gonna help me. There's going to be some therapy like this is going to be good. I'm going to talk to somebody, you know. I remember leaving that hospital. And going back. To the same stuff. I remember leaving the hospital and there was not a mob of people in services surrounding me to help me. And so it was at that moment from the first disclosure of I'm struggling at home to a teacher to I want to do this. And this is what the, my thoughts are telling me, um, that it will be easier for me to just slice my wrist and be, and be over with it. Um, from when they were doing the home visits to every time they left getting whooped getting, getting whooped and in trouble because I welcomed, I brought somebody into my home. I brought people in to look at the conditions, um, to coming back from the hospital and being told, look, if you want to die, this is where you do it. This is how you do it. And you'll go faster. I learned from a very young age, everything's fine. 
everything's okay, right? Fighting the thoughts and never being able to process them. And so you this you're this grown woman and you go through life, you go through life without kid, like struggles without children, you get children, you go through relationship struggles, and then you become this mom and it never stops. You are constantly adapting to all of the changes that are taking place in your life, but never really at a place to to kind of process them. And you make I make bad decisions and I trust the wrong people and my identity is lost. And so I'm in broken relationships and I'm never processing any of it. I'm just going through the motions. I'm going through the motions whenever something happens. In this particular season of my life, wandering with my kids, it was the thing that kind of broke me. And so we fast forward and we get to November of 2018. Every year, I celebrate something called my Survivor Anniversary. Not everybody knows that. It's a very close-knit um, people that do know. Um, but on this particular day in November, I celebrate the day um, that I survived my last suicide attempt. That the last time the thoughts got the best of me. And that I was going to act on that. And so I'm in this hotel room. I know what I'm going to do. I know how I'm going to do it. I know how it's going to happen. I know all of the things. And I didn't want to hear anything else. I didn't want to hear it. I had my drinks. I, I probably was, probably had a blunt. I can't remember, right? This is, you know, I'm just being honest. Um, and I'm waiting for the time when I knew it was going to happen. Um, and I'm not going through so many emotions. I'm kind of numb. But while I'm sitting in the bathroom and I'm mapping out in my head how all of this was going to happen. And I, I, I knew how it needed to be done. I knew the time in my brain that it needed to be done. I knew when I needed to notify um, the authorities to 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 make the call so that um, wait so that was like you know I'm good I'm in my brain I'm like I can I could do this without um <laughs> getting emotional wrong I knew <sighs> when I needed to make the call to notify the authorities and what I needed to say so that and they didn't let my kids find me that way. But I knew what needed to be done. And while I'm sitting in the bathroom and I'm like processing all of this and whatever, there was a friend who had made a post. And I don't even remember how long before. But the post came to mind and she had, I don't know if she went to a seminar or if she went to like a class, a course, I don't know. But it was for suicide. 
And in the post, it was basically saying that, you know, there are many people who, you know, struggle alone. And I don't want you to feel that you have to, um, and you can call me, right? Or it's somewhere along the lines. And that particular post was just like, ah, I couldn't get it out of my head. And all I kept hearing was core, core. I was like, I don't want to. But I do. I pick up the phone, I call, and then I'm prior to this phone call, I am so numb and so content and so tired that there was nothing that anybody can say. Once I made the phone call, um, and I believe her number might have been like in the inbox or something happened where I, you know, got a number, I didn't even have to ask for it, or maybe I sent her a message and I think I asked her where her number was. I can't even remember the the, the details because it's like, um, but I, I talked to her and in the process of me talking to her, I'm like, you made this post and I'm like tears in my eyes and I'm like, I remember that you made this post and I'm struggling. I'm struggling and life is hard, but I couldn't go deep because I'm still fighting against myself. Right. And so I hang up and when I hang up, I feel no different, right? And I'm like, look, you've had me make this phone call. This is my conversation to God. You have me make this phone call. I do that. And yet I still feel the same. And so I had no desire, like call her back, reach out. I just knew what I was going to do. I don't even know how much time passed. But before I knew it, I'm in the bathroom and my babies are like watching TV and I go to the door and before I say anything on the other side is like, Hey, Denny's open the door, open the door. And, um, I didn't want to, but on the other side, it was like a plead to open the door. And I'm like, God dang it. How? Right. So when I open the door, one of the things I will never forget from the face of her and her husband, it wasn't sympathy. It wasn't pity. It wasn't, you know, like um, all of the stuff that you hear, all of the lies that you hear. It was the complete opposite. It wasn't you. you it wasn't loneliness. It's like nobody cares about you. You're not alone. Like it wasn't you're by yourself. Nobody cares. You're rejected. You're not good enough. You've never been good enough. The the look on their faces and their posture was so much empathy and I see you, but not only that, but I'm here, right? And you don't know how much you need that. And they didn't really say much. I don't, God, Sometimes I feel like you, you know, like to remember all of the stuff. I feel like so much stuff is a blur, but so much stuff is embedded in me that I will never forget. And when I opened that door, it was like almost every lie that I believed my entire life 
in every part of rejection and not being seen at that moment I was seen. And even in that, I'm like, this is good and it feels great. But it was like, is this good enough? Does this moment last? And so she's there, her husband's there, another friend comes and then all of these police are around me. And I'm like, everybody's like, are you okay? What's happening? And I'm like, I'm good. I'm, I'm so fine, right? Look, I had a moment. The police are like, do you want to hurt yourself? Absolutely not. Look, y'all, I was just tired. Like, you know what I'm saying? And um, and so they say, well, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't want to hurt herself, you know? But the whole time that they're there and everybody is surrounding me, I keep on hearing after you've suffered. And I'm like, what does this mean? <laughs> Why do I keep hearing this and not and then it is like you hear it subtly, but then it gets louder. And the more questions you get asked and the more times you say, no, I'm okay, I'm fine, it's louder. So the police are gone. It's almost like you know how when in Charlie Brown, when you hear them talking and the voices are kind of muffled and robotic in the background, and it's like that like it was that. So it got to the point where the only thing I can hear was after you've suffered, after you've suffered. And so I'm holding these pill bottles and I'm like, I already know what I'm gonna do once they leave. I'm telling them I'm fine, but I know what needs to be done. The, the after you, it would not go away. And it just got louder and louder and louder until I said, does anybody know? what after you've done like after you've suffered what does that mean and they were like I don't I don't know I can't remember if I googled it or if they googled it but when it was pulled up first Peter 5 10 and after you've suffered a little while The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. First Peter 5.10. In that moment, God was like, the thing that you want to do it's not the thing that you need to do with your life. There is something else that I have for you. And after this little, this pain, after this suffering, I got you. And I remember crying out. don't want to die and so I take these pills from out of my pocket and I give them over and I'm like I don't want to die God, I want to but I don't want to it was the very first time in my life even after being a believer that I know that I know that God spoke to me 
there's no you've had the scripture before there was no I didn't even know what it was and God in my moment was speaking to me and telling me it ain't your time yet I gave the pills over I flushed them and that is why I celebrate my Survivor Day. The reason why I feel there was such an, a necessity to discuss this topic was because from all of the women that I get a chance to talk to, The stories are never a coincidence when they are, right, so deeply related to me. When I started uncomfortably cozy, or when the thoughts mind just started, it was like a outburst, like, do this, right? But here's why. And it is a long time in the making because I have been fighting my own thoughts and my own insecurities. It doesn't just stop at that moment. I wish I can say that even in that moment when I know that God clearly spoke to me and he used every person who showed up for me in that moment, that it stopped, that my insecurities somehow went away, that the thoughts no longer are there because that would be the furthest thing from the truth. Every single day, I have to fight to believe the truth about who God says that I am. Every single day, I have to fight to find my identity outside of every single thing that I was told about myself. Every single day, I have to fight past the rejection and fight past the abuse and fight past the hurt. And every single day, I live as this survivor, I have to. Because if I believed my thoughts, I would not be here. And so it was absolutely necessary to discuss this because there are far too many women who are at their breaking points where they want to give up in life, in parenting, and finding their identities and who they are and who God says that they can be. And God is like, after you've suffered. It's so beautiful because when you get even into the before the verse that he spoke to me, like verse six or so, it's like there's a very busy devil. Like he's, he's trying to see who he can devour. But resist him and stand firm in your faith. This attack is not like one of those things where you just think like, oh, it's just like, oh, no, it's, it is a strategic thing that the enemy does. Because if he can get you to believe the lies that he tells you, it will completely take you off course and stop you from what it is that God has for you. And there's too many women that believe that. And our testimonies are not our testimonies for us to just have in our back pockets to say, 
I said, but I got over this. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the words of our testimonies for encouragement. And there are too many women who live in moments of silence and isolation and loneliness and want to give up. And I believe that from this, this topic, from me sharing this moment of my life, that God wants us to know that we can't. And so I hope that there is hope from this. I hope that from the hardest parts of my life, you receive encouragement. I hope that from my pain and seeing the evidence of God, even from this short moment where he has been faithful and evident and speaking to me in the darkest moments of my life or as long as I can remember, that you realize that he is there for you as well. I hope that there is encouragement from this. I hope that the desire to fight, that you do that. I told my girlfriends um, not too long ago that I don't have to be the strongest person in the room. Like we literally don't have to be. I don't even take that on anymore, <laughs> right? But I also take very much delight in my weakness because I'm not relying on my own strength. And so I'm very cautious even about some of the compliments that I might receive or some of the things that people might say to me because I have to, sometimes I have to give it back. You're such a strong mother. You're such an amazing mother. You're one of the strongest women that I know. I'm not. <laughs> and, 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 and I say that because I'm not, right? This is not a Danny's thing. I am not keeping myself together and mentally I'm a mess. Emotionally, it's tough. But I'm so grateful that every single day, God whispers to me, 1 Peter 5.10. And so I'm hoping that that scripture and that this story reaches you, that you get the, the encouragement that you need, but that you allow yourself to be vulnerable and transparent and that you speak about the things that you need to talk about. Therapy is amazing. I know. Right. Um, but I want you to know that I see you, I am you, but the most important thing that you should know is that you are so loved and it just ain't your time yet. And so until next time on Uncomfortably Cozy, um, take that. Find delight in that and find your strength because it's there. Bye, y'all. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, you can call the Suicide Crisis Lifeline by dialing 988.